one thing that jumped out to me when I was looking through your LinkedIn profile, right? You have a lot of experience specifically like in the media industry. So you were at BuzzFeed for a really long time. You were at Cheddar for a little while and now you're over here at ClickUp. And so can you walk me through a little bit um, why the transition from media to tech? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my career has been kind of interesting. I, I fell into media, definitely. Um, you know, when I started at BuzzFeed, there were 10 people there. So I would hardly call it, you know, a media company. It was more like we were figuring out the internet. We were figuring out what people share and why they share it and how to kind of uh, infiltrate emotion with content and kind of marry the two. Um, and that was really, it was really an experiment when I joined. So, you know, we, we, as much as we wanted it to grow into like a, a behemoth of a company, we really didn't have a clear direction on, on where exactly it was headed um, and what we would be doing. So there were a lot of different platforms at the time, platforms that don't exist today, like StumbleUpon and, and um, I mean, I had a ton of others. It was the Wild West. I remember StumbleUpon. <laughs> yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. It was I loved it. And, and our goal was really to kind of gamify these platforms and figure out like what makes people share, what makes things go viral. Um, how do we kind of feed the rails of, of the train that is the platform? And, you know, that, that was a, a lot of what I learned there is kind of like what makes people share things and talk about things and, and what resonates and, you know, creating formulas and a methodology behind that. So, you know, what BuzzFeed became was is pretty incredible. The fact that it became like a household name and just like super experimental and the videos that we would create and we turn people into kind of like stars and it, it was, it's wild, like what that kind of bloomed into um and and I was really passionate about I think my role there like in disrupting traditional media and have being told like no this this isn't possible because things have to be a certain way and kind of going against like that contrarian view taking a contrarian view to like what old school media and traditional media were doing and I think I was very passionate about both like you know, the virality factor was really cool. Um, and then also just, I, I would say disruption at its very core was like something that really fueled me and motivated me. Um, so it was, you know, media was cool, but but I think it was more of like a vehicle of like disruption. And, um, you know, I, I really loved that piece of it. And it, it also just taught me a lot about content and creation and creativity in general and brand and what you need. There's a, when I was in school at Western Michigan University, I was in a, the first, well, I think it was like social marketing, social mm -hmm. media marketing. It was like the first time that the course was offered. And I took, so I took like the inaugural, um, you know, course. And um, one of the assignments was creating a BuzzFeed quiz and trying to get it to go viral. And um, I remember the, the quiz that we ended up creating because it was close to the holiday season. We ended up like, how much of a Grinch are you? And so it was pretty much like rating, you know, you, the quiz was essentially like, oh, do you like it when people play Christmas music like in November? Yes or no. And, you know, it just ended up like, in, oh, you're 60% Grinch. And I remember it got featured on like a radio station and it actually like got some momentum. It wasn't like quite like viral, but I thought you'd get a kick out of that. It yeah, was like no, I... learning how like all that stuff works. It's almost like table stakes at this point. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think the very early days when we started to see like our quizzes like picked up by like celebrities and bands we would reference, it was like, okay, we've like really kind of infiltrated pop culture, which was really special and cool. Um, and, and another like, you know, big piece of it was really just, you know, the, the, the notion that you can 
you can create formats that didn't exist previously or things that are, you know, that had existed that you can kind of reformat for a new age and way of thinking and, and really like, you know, make them make them big with a huge distribution vehicle. So um, yeah, it was it was a really, a really cool time um, and, and such an interesting thing. And, and to your point also, like having it be taught at, uh, at a college, right, where an assignment was to make a quiz, um, you know, I, I didn't get into Harvard. Uh, I probably, I didn't apply, but I probably could have gotten into Harvard. Um, but uh, I was, I was uh, asked to do a Harvard business review case on virality and like the this disruption of the traditional media industry. And I thought that that was always, that was really like really interesting. It was like a feather in my cap. It's like, wow, I'm doing like this huge Harvard business review study for a school I couldn't get into. How cool. That's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. The, um, that's so interesting too, just how, you know, it, it, at least in the very beginning of BuzzFeed, you mentioned it was you and nine, essentially nine other people. And I'm, I'm assuming most of those people were fairly creative. Am I wrong there? Or oh, yeah. it, everyone's... Was a, it was a bunch of misfits. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. so, so was it difficult to tap more into like the businessy or sciencey aspect of growing, um, growing BuzzFeed to what it became today? Was it, or was it easier than, than you had thought or describe kind of like balancing the art versus the science of growing a business? Yeah, I mean, at first it was all art because it was, I mean, actually, you know what, to be fair, it was always a mix of art and science because we had built this proprietary dashboard that basically just showed us the viral coefficient of everything that we would create. So the data fueled what we would do next on different platforms. And the coolest thing ever was seeing something, a piece of content in real time, get picked up, see the viral coefficient. We created a metric for that. Um, and it was like, you know, the, the amount of seed views it had versus the amount of earned views and media. And that created, you know, a, a KPI that we would kind of stick to um, for, for, for just like what, what success was for us. But so there was always science that backed it. And I think what it, it became was more of this machine. And then the business aspect of it, um, our, our uh, president joined the same day as me, his name's John Steinberg, and he was tasked with like turning BuzzFeed into a business. Um, and that was like trial and tribulation of like, should we sell like magnetic balls that like stick together? I mean, we sold very strange things, perky jerky, things that don't exist anymore. Oh, what's, well, well, what's perky jerky? <laughs> It, it caffeinated beef jerky. Oh, okay. So, yeah, okay. It, you know, it was like, well, we have like the media portion of this down, but like, how do we create a business model out of it? Like, what does this become? And then we worked together, John and I, on creating like what is known as like basically, you know, um, native native advertising branded content. Um, and we built that infrastructure out for um, all of the brands that worked with us. So basically, you know, the the idea that, you know, content can be advertising, uh, which was very new. And a lot of people didn't want that. There were no budgets for it. So having to convince the advertising industry that they could, they should put money into content rather than just like banner ads was, uh, was definitely like a, a very interesting time period, but it worked, worked really well. Our entire model, you know, at the, at the end of the day was, was, you know, advertising through, through content and, and then eventually retail and commerce, but it started with advertising. And how did how did what you ended up doing at Cheddar differ from what you personally did at BuzzFeed? Was it yeah. like was it an extension and like a progression in your career to like tap into like other things that you hadn't quite done yet, or was it almost like an evolved like a like okay I've done it before at BuzzFeed I'm gonna do it now over at Cheddar kind of a thing? It was such a unique 
situation. Um, I mean, I felt like, you know, BuzzFeed was 1600 people. My team was 150. It was like very large at that pro at that point, you're, you're kind of, you're innovating, but you're also just like solving problems, um, which is great. Um, but I was kind of, I'm, I'm very entrepreneurial and, and I wanted to move on to the next thing. And it, it's just so happened that John, who was the president left uh, BuzzFeed and called me and said, I want to start a new company um, and was talking about the opportunity within technology and, and how people were shifting from cable and cutting the cord to OTT, you know, and CTV. And this was such a new trend, like no one had heard of it. And it's so wild how these things happen. It's like, of course, no one has cable anymore. They just have subscriptions. Um, and he's like, this, this trend in tech and this disruption mapped with the fact that like live news for young people is just in non-existent. It's like CNBC, MSNBC, especially within the tech sector and talking to young people about all of the fundraising and amazing new series A, B, C companies. Um, there's like a huge opportunity. So when I first came on board, it was like, it, it was, there were three people. So it was like, one hour a day of live, two hours a day of live. And then everything kind of started to fall into place between like forming partnerships with like YouTube TV and all the distribution deals that we would do. Did you um, end up, did you end up uh, like how, how, how long would you go live for like towards the end of your time? Like, does, do they go live like eight hours a day at this point or where are they at right yeah. now? Yeah, it was, it, it was close to 24 hours of, of pockets of like mix of live and on demand. Okay. Um, yeah, we were 12 hours live, like fully, fully live, which is in, in sad. Yeah, I was about to say, that sounds pretty, okay. Gotcha. With, with, a, with a company of less than 200 people. So yeah. like, you know, we're running, we're running Fox business, you know, with 200 people in like a, a WeWork, basically. Uh, we, we had a control room um, on the New York Stock Exchange floor, and then we had a control room in our, in our office. But it was, you know, it was the scrappiest, coolest like startup experience. And um, a lot of my role there was both like creative development, so developing shows, uh, developing our brand, our branding, our kind of go-to-market strategy and that capacity, but also I ran revenue, which was uh, definitely a, a different <laughs> move for me. Um, but it was it was creative. I got to come up with our ad product, work with a lot of our you know biggest B two B companies, and 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 create amazing like advertising content for them that would air as shows. So it was really it was really like you know uh, substantive content, not not just an ad. Um, so it was pretty was that something like you said that you, you know, ran revenue was that something that you raised your hand for and was like yeah i'll take that like let's go for it or was that something that was bestowed upon you so to speak from like a, that was like we need somebody here melissa like can you please take it yeah it was more like let's figure it out um i think you know originally we thought that we thought a little bit differently about how the company would actually make money, which was we thought it would be carriage fees. So when you think about how much like ESPN gets per subscriber, no matter where they are, they get like, I think it's it's crazy. It's like a couple of dollars. So when you think about that, it doesn't matter how much they watch or what they actually watch, they just get $5 like blank per sub. I don't know if that's still the case, but we were like, if we can get a fraction of that to get on all these new players who need content, like let's do it. Um, and that worked for some of them, but that certainly wasn't going to be like our only stream of revenue. So I raised my hand and I said, I'll, I'll do it. Like I, I'm creative. I like working with clients. Um, I can come up with a model and, and, you know, build a team. So I built our sales team. I built our account management team, our creative team under that, that executed a lot of these programs, our analytics team, 
So it was, yeah, it was um, kind of figure it out. We have to figure out how to how to monetize this. So you're going to do it. So mm-hmm. I, I raised my hand and I did it, which is great. You know, I think uh, learning learning to um, like working in sales and, and working with clients directly and then having that creative side of me, like also it kind of felt like um, I've become a, a more well-rounded person in my mm-hmm. skill set. So I was excited to take that on because I figured, you know, it, this will only benefit me in the future, understanding this and learning it. I'm trying to do that more in my role too. So, um, right. Obviously like we have access at ClickUp. We, you know, we have like call recording tools and we can like listen in on calls, but there's not, nothing really beats just talking directly to a client or a prospect and trying to understand exactly like what the problems are that they're going through or experiencing and then trying to figure out kind of on the flight, like, all right, let's work together and try to figure out uh, how we can solve this. So I'm trying to figure out better ways of supporting our sales team more directly, um, like from a competitive standpoint. Um, let's pivot over to ClickUp a little bit. So, um, right, because so you were at Cheddar, you came over to ClickUp, and it, at least from from the outside, right, and and knowing your role, at least from a distance, from my perspective, you are 100% brand. So walk me through a little bit how you started at ClickUp, how you measured potentially like the the brand like the brand awareness of ClickUp when you first started and kind of how you figured out what you needed to do to build it up to where it is today yeah so i mean there, there were a lot of things I, I choose my kind of next moves very wisely i'm like not one to just jump from company to company i, I marry my job i marry my company like you know i i think that's uh, uh there there's there's a pro and a con with that, but I'm, I'm very closely aligned to the company that I work for. And I, I like, I eat, sleep and breathe it. So it, it was a big decision. Um, but w- what I wanted to get into tech and I, I felt like, you know, at that point in my career, it was a great time to make that move. I had a lot of well-rounded skills um, and I had been in brand, I'd been in sales and, and, and also like had used a million different terrible, terrible tools that made my life and my job so much harder. So it was great to, to be able to go to a company that I felt like I could really market and also really believe in because I, I knew the struggles of, of myself prior using it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, same. Yeah, at my prior uh, role, it was, uh, it was the same kind of issue. It was okay. Like um, I was looking, well, when they first reached out to me about like, oh, here's this competitive role at ClickUp. I was like, all right, well, let's take a look at ClickUp. And saw essentially like the one app to rule them all tagline and immediately could see like the use, like in my current role, I was like, oh, okay, product team is using one tool, marketing tool, marketing is using another one. Um, and who was it? In pro- and um, uh, engineering was using a, a completely different tool. And so I was like, oh, okay, this, there, this is it right here. Like let's, let's move. And then that combined with the fact that there was a cool brand, which Hey, yo, that's why we're talking. And number two, there was a bunch of raving customers like on G2 and Trust Radius and all that kind of stuff. It was like, all right, this is a good opportunity. Sorry, keep going. No, no, I mean, very aligned. Um, Yeah, I I love love him, just to preface this. But um, my old COO, we would have like screaming matches over using Basecamp because I was like, this is just the worst tool I've ever, you know? So it's like, it was very near and dear to my heart, these like battles. (laughs) So it it felt good to be going to the right side of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I, when I first kind of explored the opportunity, you know, I, I spoke with Zeb, we connected, I loved his vision for it. I felt like it solved for a lot of the 
of the challenges. And I was like, this could be like a real 10 year, you know, Salesforce of productivity company. Um, and that's what got me truly excited, both the vision and then just, you know, I, I'd say brand in general, I, there are a lot of things that kind of go into that. Um, I also think the brand is definitely like a, a big piece of like who runs it. And, and you know, Zeb being super bright and like, you know, excited and, and energetic and bringing this like energy to the company. And the way that the, you know, the, even, even just like going to the site and seeing how, how well it was designed and the look and the feel of it, um, that combined with just how many people to your point on G2, like already love the product and then kind of doing a deep dive on the community, um, you know, on social and just like on wherever I could find it. I was like, wow, I was like, the grass is like really green here. If I can build this into, it has the makings of everything that can be built into this, like, you know, 20 year brand. Um, and I, I was like, you know, I'm going to take what I learned at BuzzFeed and, and Cheddar and apply that to, to software and, and see where it goes and create this North Star of what I want to achieve here and what I think it can become and how I think we can differentiate ourselves. But, you know, the biggest takeaway and, and kind of just, you know, my husband's building his own company too, is that like feature parity is like, it's hard. I mean, it's really hard to, to kind of stay competitive and it's, it's hard because everyone is building so quickly, which was not the case, you know, five years ago. So, you know, thinking about that and then thinking about brand, I think they go hand in hand. It's like, of course, you need to always be competitive and keep releasing features and up-leveling your product and up-leveling your customer experience. But at the same time, you know, brand is moat, community is moat. And I think those two things go hand in hand. And it was a, just seemed like the grass was super green and it was a great opportunity to to build that and marry the two. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I think for anyone that's seeking a job, one yeah. thing to always look for is does the company have a good brand? Because like you just mentioned, that is one of those big moats nowadays because there are so many saturated markets that have, you know, essentially, you know, all things considered very similar products, but yeah. brand is one of those things that can really push a product or a company, you know, over the edge and get them to a wider audience. And so I'm curious, right? Like you mentioned, you saw some, you saw a lot of potential in ClickUp before you joined. I saw that too, like before I joined, I was like, okay, there's a, there's a lot here that I can see is working for the company. Yeah. Now, now I'm curious. So for the founders, such as your husband, who are building from scratch, like how would you approach starting to build something that is memorable, that's differentiated? Is there like a specific place that you would start? I mean, I think it kind of, I mean, first of all, there's branding, right? Which is like how you, how you look, how you feel, every interaction that someone has with your product, like what is that? And I think if you can try to define that as closely as possible and have it feel cohesive, I think that that's a starting point, right? Like how do they feel when they interact with this? Is it even like, you know, there, there are such small things when you're interacting with a product. Is it emotion? Is it something that makes you feel good? You know, are, are there things within the product where you hit the button and it celebrates you? Like, how does it make you feel to use it? And I think that's like, that that's brand in itself, right? Like there are actions that I think that kind of ladder up to that. But I think, you know, creating almost like a, a media engine too, um, that brings people back to you through word of mouth, through like whatever means you have available. And that doesn't mean you need to spend, you know, 10 figures, eight figures on, on out of home. It means you, you know, that that's great because you can kind of buy your way into the, into awareness and, and put yourself next to the biggest competitors, you know, in your category. But I think there are a lot of other ways to do it. 
a lot of other ways to stand out. So I think it's creating that voice, creating that North Star of like how you want people to interact and feel when they when they engage with you. And then creating that as like the personality that kind of layers across everything that you do and try to stay true to that. And I think the more that you do that, and and you know, it's it's like you can't go from one to a hundred overnight. It's like really small iterative steps every single day that allow you to get there. And I think um, you know, that's the biggest lesson that I've ever learned. It's like nothing happens overnight. It's like people see a success and they're like, wow, that company just like blew up or they got big or everyone's talking about them now. And it's like, well, took a lot of work, you know? So I, I think it's a lot of that. I think you can start really small. You can start with just developing like what that means and like kind of distilling it down and then saying, what are, what are the five steps that we're going to take to kind of activate on that? And then when you're actually trying to push for more investment or resources, I guess I should say, um, into branding, into marketing, uh, into creative. What's so for all of those creative folks out there that are leading this side of the business, I I feel like it's very um, common for -hmm. for them to get pushback from other like CEOs, or other leaders that are just like, okay, why or show me like the ROI on this, those kinds of things. And Things like word of mouth specifically, it can be very challenging to track. So what would be your advice to those uh, creative leaders that are trying to get more resources to their team? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of like things that I, I speak about this pretty often. Like there's both like the qualitative and quantitative data that I think you can look at, right? Like I think there are, there's definitely like, you know, the, the it depends. Are you, are you running ads where you're seeing ROI? Great you know, then you can double down and iterate on that. If you don't have the money to spend on that and you're trying to prove something that works, you know, what are the key metrics that you can take away from that to prove that it's actually working? I think they're, you know, they're not like, they're not all the same. There's not like a one metric that like will summarize like whether something's successful or not. I think it just depends on the action and then figuring that out. Like we have ads that will run and they'll perform well, maybe not the best, but they're ripped you know, 50 times on different YouTube channels and they are tweeted about, you know, a hundred times a day. And it's like, okay, well, you know, th- there's something there and to discount that, that, that it's not working. Um, you know, you have to take some of these soft metrics into account. I think they're just as important. Um, so there, there's this mix of like kind of science and, and also like gut and, and soft and soft analytics, as well as, you know, the quantitative stuff. And I think all that stuff matters, especially in today when it's, you know, like, TikTok's an important place to have a strategy, you know, like it, it gives you a ton of reach and it's a place where the brand has to kind of become something different to be able to actually have that reach. Uh, can you 100% attribute true ROI per like, you know, TikTok? No, but if you're getting millions or hundreds of thousands of views a week, um, you know, you know that aids to the top of the funnel. So there's, there's pieces, you know, everyone wants to track everything and I think you can track a lot and it's important, but there are things that you can't that are equally as important. Yeah. Melissa, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and chat with me about this branding specifically. I've been, I've been really interested in non-product based differentiators lately. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, over the past few years, I've just really noticed that that's one of the biggest ways that companies are winning it's these non-product bait like it's not just about like these features that we're checking off of like some ancillary matrix you know there's so many other things and branding i i keep coming back to is one of those things that i think all of the companies that are truly winning are yeah. winning at branding and 100 percent. and just to add to that like i i think 
you know, everyone that that is a brand like leader or advocate, like will always advocate for brand, but in a, in a like, in, in an age where just like tech is so democratized, like there's, you, you have to think about what your differentiators actually are and be realistic with that. And in a compu- like completely saturated markets where like you have people coming up every day and, you know, new competition, like it's such a key thing to be able to differentiate yourself through brands. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's more important than ever, especially in, in crowded and saturated spaces and um, you know, whatever you do, I, I think it's never too early to build brand, build brand brand equity um, and, you know, support the people that support you and Korean ambassadors. I think that's also just a huge moat. Where can people find you if they want to follow you along on your journey? Yeah, um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So Melissa Rosenthal on LinkedIn. Um, I post pretty much every day life of myself and, and things we're doing at ClickUp and everything in between. Um, and then I'm also active on Twitter. Unfortunately, I can't change my handle. I, I learned that the hard way because I did it. Every, I align my handle with every company I'm at and then I never can change it because I'm verified. So um, I'm Millis on Cheddar uh, on Twitter and I'm active there as well. But it's it's basically like a ClickUp Stan account. So Love you'll, it. Like, you'll like my Twitter, um, but you can reach me there. And I'm, yeah, I'm very responsive. So happy to chat with anyone. Happy to, uh, yeah, happy to do anything. Melissa, really appreciate you. Like I said, jumping on, I know you're super busy, but in either case, I know this is going to be super helpful for everyone that's listening. And so I will chat with you soon. Thank you. Thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.